You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. If you're, uh, after you're done greeting and meeting, turn to this passage in Scripture. Um, We're in the habit of not putting the passages on the screen um, to encourage you to turn to your own text, whether that be an actual Bible or an electronic Bible. And we're going to read this passage, which is a very encouraging passage about what the afterlife will be like. And that is today's topic, the afterlife. And so 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 7, I'll give you another uh, second to turn there, uh, whether you're in the book or in a program. I always find that the people with the books can still beat the people with the electronic Bible. So I don't know. So if you brought your paper Bible, good for you. You're cool. So 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 7, says, But we impart a secret. Any, anybody want to know a secret? Do you want to know a secret? Anybody? Secret? Okay, here's a secret. But we impart a secret, a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. It's like, what's the secret? None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, so this is the secret, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So we can't even imagine this thing that that God has prepared for us, that the Lord has prepared for us, because we are the ones that love him. So let's pray. God, we pray to you as our great hope, our our great father, our, our God, who makes promises like this throughout Scripture, that, that when we love you and we give our lives to you and we think of you and we thank you and we g- devote our lives to you, that you are preparing something for us. And God, as we think and consider the afterlife this morning, God, open our hearts, open our minds to receive truth, to receive wisdom that is from you. God, we worship you and we praise you. We love you so much. And everybody said, Amen. Well, I have a story for you. It's kind of a, um, it's, we've all been in conversations. So you're talking to someone and you, I'm sure, have probably told a white lie. You know what a white lie is? A white lie is just something you say. Um, you don't really mean it, but it's just kind of something to say to say. Uh, and it makes you feel better. Maybe it makes them feel better, but you really don't mean it. Um, you say things like, let's hang out sometime. Sweet. Yeah, let's. And you don't exchange phone numbers. You don't exchange emails. You don't set a time to hang out. But yeah, let's hang out sometime. Yeah, let's. <laughs> and it's like maybe neither of you mean it, but you're just, you're just saying it to say it. Um, some of the classic ones are those pants do not make you look fat. Um, I'll definitely call you later. You will? Nah, it's just something to say. Um, or this one, if, you're, if you've ever had to break up with someone, you say, it's not you, it's... It's me. It's, it's kind of a white lie. It can, it can be, at least. Um, or you see someone and you say, you haven't changed in years. Like, no, they have. Um, or, uh, that must have been broken when we got here. And, and no, it probably wasn't. You broke it. Uh, or this one, maybe a little, this one kind of touches us as Christians, maybe uh, in a, kind of raw. But it's something we say a lot. Um, it's a white lie. It's something that maybe makes us feel better, makes them feel better. And we say, hey, I'll be praying for you, bro. 
or sister, I'll be praying for you. It's like, well, maybe you really don't intend to. Maybe you do, and that's great. But maybe you don't to intend to. But it's something to say. I'll be praying for you. I think we say things like this that, that really don't have the, the backing behind them to comfort each other. And I've been to, uh, as we were talking about the afterlife, I've been to funerals where people say things um, to comfort each other that, that are really nice, and they're, and they're well-meaning things. But um, especially when Christians say them, there's really nothing backing them up scripturally. It's just things that maybe they say. I was at a funeral one time, and it was a pretty tragic funeral. I've been to quite a few funerals as a pastor and done some funerals. Um, but I was at a funeral where the, a young man had died kind of tragically, and um, someone got up to give the eulogy. That's like what the, basically this person's life. And towards the end of it, because um, the eulogy included facts about this young man, that he loved rap music, um, all kinds of different rap music. And so at the end of the eulogy, the, the, the guy that gave it, I think it was a friend or a, a family member said, and I'm sure he's up there right now, just, you know, rapping before the father, just hanging and chilling and rapping with God. Um, it's like, really? Like, that, I mean, that's a good thought. Um, but is that really what we believe about the afterlife? I think we say things like that to encourage each other, but, but maybe they're just hopes. Maybe they're just guesses. I was at a funeral at New Life where uh, a woman had died um, tragically in a, in, a, in a horse accident, like riding a horse and fell off. And it's a horrible story. And, and the, at the funeral, there was just something this, that was said like that. And I'm sure she's up there right now, like in the stables, cleaning up God's horse's poop right now. Um, and everybody laughed. They said, yeah, we'd like to think that, that, that that's where she is. She loved horses. So, so this idea that she's, you know, cleaning up God's horse's poop right now would, would be just a, a cool image of her. That's what she's doing right now. Um, and maybe, maybe that's how heaven works. That's how the afterlife works. But today, um, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer about what the afterlife will look like, but today I want to dig into the text of Scripture and say, okay, what, do, what does the text of Scripture say about the afterlife? Um, does it, does it really, because maybe you're like me and you're like, man, I hope heaven isn't just one big rap party because I'm not into rap. And if that's what it's like, or not, and maybe you're thinking like me, gosh, I hope heaven isn't like a, a stable full of horse poop that I have to clean because that's not my thing. Maybe it's your thing. That's cool. Um, but what, what will the afterlife look like? What are things we can say for sure, or things we can say with clarity about the afterlife? Um, so here's, here's a reading from um, the common book of prayer um, that has to say, this is uh, what is said at the burial of someone at a funeral. This, these are the words printed in the common book of prayer um, for liturgical services, uh, like the Anglicans, the Church of England. It says this, at the burial of the dead, It's a prayer or just a commencement. We therefore commit this body to the earth to be turned into corruption, looking for the resurrection of the body. It's like that. It takes on some of this New Testament wording. It takes on some uh, wording from the creeds. So we look for the resurrection of the body when the earth shall give up her dead and the life of the world to come. That's a line from the Nicene Creed uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who at his coming shall change our vile bodies that they may be like his glorious body according to the mighty working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. And it's like, that's okay. That's more scriptural. That's more creedal than, oh, you know, he, there's just a big rap party up in heaven. It's like, we can think about those things, but let's, let's use some of the, the language that the Bible has to mention. Let's, let's use our imagination as well, but let's compare that to scripture. 
Um, like the verse we, we started off reading this morning, it says, no, we can't even imagine what the Lord is preparing for those who love him. We can't even imagine it. But there are some things we can talk about, like the resurrection, uh, giving up the, the earth will give up the dead. Um, Christ will come back. Those are the things that are specifically mentioned in scripture that I want to point out today here in the Mill Sunday School. So welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If this is your first time, well, thanks for coming on this Mother's Day. And it is Mother's Day. It really is. Text your mom or something. Send her an email. (laughs) Take her out to Olive Garden. Because when you're in Olive Garden, you're family. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, So if you're new to the Mill Sunday School, welcome. There are uh, Sunday School uh, cards like this. And if you wanted to, you could fill it out. Give us your information. We won't hound you. We won't bug you. If you want an email, you could check a box. And I'll email you. If you want to call, check a box. And I'll give you a call this week and say what's up. Um, But you could give those to the the people as you leave. uh, back there on the table in the lobby, and they'll give you a gift. It's uh, Brady Boyd's book. He wrote a book called Sons and Daughters, and so you get that as a gift and some more information about New Life Church. So that's that, and here we are in Sunday School uh, talking about systematic theology. We've been going through this series now for all, almost nine full months of, of topics in this order of system, the system of systematic theology. Uh, and here we are, and towards the very end, talking about eschatology, the study of the end, the end times uh, specifically, or even the afterlife is included in these topics. And so what we've chosen to do, uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, you're like, why aren't we talking about the end times? Well, we're talking about the afterlife, which is a category of eschatology. And actually, we're going to take next month, uh, the month of June, to talk about the end times. And so we're breaking it up because these topics um, are often maybe not talked about as much as maybe other topics are in church, but uh, topics that are very important. Um, to who we are as humans and what the afterlife will be like and what the end times will be like. The Bible has quite a bit to say about it. So uh, specifically today and this month, we're talking about the afterlife. And I think if you're anything like me and um, just letting our imagination, I think of that verse that we read this morning of, of, you know, we can't even imagine what the Lord has prepared for us. And so sometimes we try. And as a society, we try um, to think about, you know, our imagination of the afterlife And I think we have been influenced by um, what people have said, maybe TV shows, movies, um, uh, paintings of what the afterlife will be like. So I want to give a discussion question for you. Uh, So if you're at a smaller table, you could join a bigger table. I think more the merrier Um, and discuss this, Um, discuss what is and hopefully this is kind of a fun discussion question for you. What's the silliest or the craziest thing you've heard about? The Christian afterlife. And make note that it's the Christian afterlife here. Something silly or crazy. Uh, you heard, I gave you two, two examples of you know, someone that thinks that heaven will be like a big rat party. I gave you uh, an example of someone said, oh, heaven will be like a big stable with horses and the poop. And you've got to clean up God's poop. Uh, and how awesome that would be for that person who loves that. Uh, horses poop. Did I just say, say God's? <laughs> you know what I meant. Come on. Anyways, so get to discussing uh, something silly or crazy you've heard about the Christian afterlife. Um, that was, uh, yeah, you could list my example as something pretty crazy. <laughs> and then I'm going to come out with a microphone for any of you to share some crazy or silly things. All right, I have a microphone. Uh, hopefully this is kind of a fun discussion. But what's something silly or crazy you have heard? Anybody? 
cat? You, you got some cats being in heaven? Yeah, that was the story last week. They, uh, Mr. Porter has something here. Here you go. All right, so I don't know where this person got this from because there's nothing scripture related, but they uh-huh. believe that after Christ came back and we did the millennium and he made the new earth and new heaven and all that, then he was going to take everybody to a new planet with aliens, I guess, and we were going to... Like Hale-Bop or something? Something like that, yeah. yeah. And we were going to minister to them, the aliens. to the aliens about Christ. Sounds perfectly so, reasonable to me. I thought so, too. <laughs> Some aliens. Anybody else? Tibolabs, you got something? I heard uh, this the front table talking about. Um, you got, okay, go ahead. I had a dream. It was rainbows and unicorns. Rainbows and unicorns, of course. Why not? Right, that's part of the imagination. Uh, the front table was talking about who sang that song, "A Big Big House." Well, who was that? Was that Audio Adrenaline? Was that way back in the day? And everybody's a big big house where we could play football. But then, right, did you do that in your youth group when, whenever the line football, instead of football, if you didn't like football, you'd scream out whatever sport you liked, like soccer or, um, <laughs> but our, I think our imagination in heaven is kind of like a melting pot of different things. All, you know, the United States is often described as a melting pot of different cultures, different religions. Um, and if we as Christians have been influenced by that, I think there's something to say about our imagination of heaven and being this melting pot of like different ideas and what culture has to say about the afterlife. This morning, we're going to clear up some of those things and say, well, does the Bible really say that? Does it really say that they're, we're going to go to the aliens and witness to them? Oh, that's a great idea. We should do that. Um, uh, but is that what we're going to do? Is there even aliens? Do we know? Uh, what's the Bible really say? Um, and so part of this melting pot, I'm going to go through a couple things. So you've probably been influenced by maybe paintings. Here is anyone recognize this painting? Uh, it's by one of the Ninja Turtles, uh, Michelangelo. <laughs> and uh, it's a painting of, does anyone know, it's the Last Judgment scene, which is the, the altar of the, of the Sistine Chapel. It's right in front of, the, right behind the altar. Um, and here it is. It's this painting of heaven and a kind of cut off hell at the bottom, like people being tortured. And you've probably been influenced. At least the Middle Ages were very influenced by paintings because people in the Middle Ages didn't have TV or magazines or, uh, I don't know, books about um, like the Left Behind series. They didn't have that. And so maybe they were influenced by paintings. They'd see a painting like, oh, look at this. Heaven must be a bunch of white people um, <laughs> naked and muscular and floating around. Um, that must, must be what it's like. That's what the paintings say. It's like, well, let's look at scripture and see. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, maybe you've been influenced by television shows, maybe shows like, uh, the Simpsons and Homer, uh, this ideas of, you know, in heaven, Homer, Homer likes donuts so, so much so that in heaven, maybe he'll get a donut, a big one to eat. Uh, there's even the scene, maybe you remember it way back in the day, the scene where Homer goes to hell. Um, and, and his punishment is to like, it was like a reverse punishment. It's like, since he liked donuts, he's going to get so many, it's like this whole room of donuts. They're just feeding him. And the punishment doesn't work. Cause at the end, he's just like more, more out, out. Um, but this idea, you've probably been influenced and maybe knowingly or unknowingly, it's like what heaven will be like. Someone mentioned unicorns 
and and uh, rainbows. Uh, what about dogs and rainbows? Uh, that's the image I have of, I think, our imagination. We just picture, oh, a beautiful day and, and dogs, of course, because you've probably had a dog and a dog died and your mom probably told you. Where's your dog now? Well, your dog is in heaven, and there's other little dogs running around, and there's treats everywhere, and rainbows, and and puppies, and um, things like that. Uh, Maybe you've been influenced by literature. There's a lot about heaven and hell in literature. Um, I think of Paradise Lost by John Milton. Anybody ever read parts of that or the whole thing for school? Lots of people have. Um, Came out when? The 1600s by the Puritan author uh, John Milton. I think 1600s. but lots of descriptions, uh, 1700s maybe, uh, lots of descriptions of what heaven and hell will be like and the first man, the first woman, how they come back and these stories of, of what it will be like and, it, and it, just our imagination. Or maybe you've been influenced by C.S. Lewis and his um, thoughts. Uh, he wrote a book called The Great Divorce, right? Which is about this bus ride through heaven, hell, and purgatory. Uh, just the imagination that goes with that. Maybe you've been influenced by movies. I, I thought of this movie, What Dreams May Come. came out a long time ago with Robin and Williams, but it's, it's really just that heaven is just whatever you can imagine. Um, I think of the lovely bones or the, the movie, uh, um, contact has, has these scenes of like supernatural or heavenly, uh, afterlife things where it's like, it's what you imagine heaven to be like. Um, it's like, that's, that's cool. But is that what heaven and hell, is that what the afterlife really is like? Let's, let's look at scripture. Uh, how many of you have read parts of the divine comedy by Dante? Um, Three, three section book about heaven, hell, and purgatory, and um, the, the descriptions of, of hell specifically. You've probably read parts of the Inferno. Um, I had to for English class in high school, and parts of like the descriptions of what hell would be like. And maybe a lot of our thoughts and, and what we imagine, um, like the devil with a pitchfork poking people. Um, is that from the Bible, or is that from our imagination of cartoons and, and literature and paintings? Um, well, we're going to specifically look at some of those things this month. And so today in the Mill Sunday School, we're going to talk about uh, three different places. Uh, and we, we kind of mentioned this last week. Uh, next time we'll talk specifically about hell and, and the things that um, represent this English word hell. Uh, we'll talk about heaven the time after that. So we'll close this series, close this month with heaven. But today we're going to talk about this something called the intermediate state which is something that um, I think we, we as a culture are not, like we or like talk about the intermediate state and it's like, wait, what, what about, you know, I thought as soon as you die, you go straight to heaven or hell. Here's two doors. Like as soon as you die, um, I mean, I've seen this kind of thing in cartoons. Like someone dies and then their soul is carried off to heaven. And then if you're bad, then your soul is like carried down to hell. It's like, is that what the Bible has to say? Um, I think if we look at some of the texts in the New Testament, um, we will find that maybe there's this time in between the final final. Maybe there's this time in between the, the afterlife of heaven or hell. Like there's this time in between. And we're going to talk about that today. The, the back of your, uh, your notes has a quote on it by N.T. Wright. Um, do you guys have one that I could read real quick? Um, N.T. Wright is a, I'll, I'll mention him when we get to, uh, in a couple weeks when we get to talking about heaven. Um, but N.T. Wright is a scholar that wrote Surprised by Hope, which has influenced a lot of my thinking about the afterlife. And N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, our culture is very interested in, in life after death. It's like, yeah, of course. Um, we are very interested in what it will be like. And but he says this, but the New Testament is much more interested in what I've called the life after 
life after death. And so he has these, um, the, this thought that, that we, we're concerned with the afterlife, but, but N.T. Wright says, well, maybe there's a life after the life after death. And we'll talk about that more uh, in a couple of weeks when we get to talking about heaven and the resurrection. But if we look at passages of Scripture, I'm going to have you look at this uh, a little bit longer passage of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. You could turn there. Um, I'm going to read it um, off the screen just because just because it's quite long. Um, And if you if you if you don't turn to it, then you might be lost. But it says this says brothers. Some versions say brothers and sisters are um, because it's it's just talking to the church in Thessalonica. uh, We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. It's like, well, who's those that fall asleep? Like in church, like people falling asleep? No, it's, a, it's an analogy for those who have died, because, of course, we'll get on to reading about it. So don't want you to be ignorant about those who have already died, um, or to grieve like the rest of men, maybe the non-Christians who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, so, that we, uh, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So it's like Jesus died and rose, and so he will, like, where, you know, where's grandma who is, who's already dead, who has already fallen asleep? Well, the same Jesus who died and rose will, will come and, and bring her with him. Uh, verse 15 says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that uh, we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So when the Lord comes back, those of us that are still living, maybe if it happens today, on this Mother's Day, if the Lord comes back, well, then the, the, the people that have already died will precede those that are still alive. So we won't precede them, they will precede us. Uh, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command, with a voice of the arch, archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will be raised first. After that, those who are still alive are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So this image of when the Lord comes back, then there will be this raising of the dead that those who have already died, and then we who are still alive, say if it happens today, we will be called up too, and we'll all meet in the sky. It's like, is that literal? Is that figurative? Uh, what is that? Um, what will that look like? What is an angel with a trumpet and this call and this blast of, uh, of God's voice? What does all that look like? Um, I don't know. Maybe our imagination can help us with that. But what I do see in this passage is, is this waiting for the, re, for, for the return of the Lord. And so it's this idea of, well, the dead in Christ, those that have died and are believers, are in the ground, and they're, and they're dead, and they're, in, in some ways, according to this passage at least, and you can go back and look at it and study it for yourself, but I see this waiting, waiting for the resurrection, waiting for the Christ, for God to return and then be called up. So there's this time in between um, this resurrection. So one more discussion question for you just quickly. Uh, maybe it's, it's kind of a advanced placement, extra credit discussion question. Um, maybe you've thought about it before, maybe not, but where do we go to wait for our resurrection? If Paul talks about how we die and we fall asleep and, and there's this waiting for Christ to return and then the dead in, that have already died will be raised first and then we who are still alive will be you know, paired up with them in the sky and we'll all come together and praise the Lord. Uh, where do they go? Where do we go? Where, where did grandma go? Where, what happens as we wait for our resurrection? Maybe you have some ideas on this. Um, so ready, get set, discuss.
All right, I'm going to list uh, for you uh, places of the intermediate. And maybe some of you mentioned uh, some of these that I'm going to list. I think I have six of, or five of them. On your notes, there's uh, a couple different blanks for, for each of these. So I'll, I'll quickly just list them all, and then we'll go back and talk about each one. Cool beans? Cool beans. All right, so here they are. Maybe you mentioned some of these. Uh, a rest or a soul sleep, uh, purgatory, uh, paradise, Sheol and Hades, and finally, Abraham's bosom. One of my favorites, so we'll talk about that in a second. Um, we'll talk about what that is. So list those on your notes, and then if, if, you, if you don't have time to list all of them, we'll go back and talk about each one in their order. So the first one is rest and soul sleep. Rest, I put it as slash soul sleep. How many of you at your groups just said, we'll go to this resting place? Anybody? I heard this table and some other tables. Great. So you mentioned like um, a rest, a, a sleep, a, a waiting for the resurrection. Um, there's, there's passages in the scripture that talk about um, going to rest with the, your ancestors. I think of uh, 1 Kings 2.10. If you would like a scripture to look at later, First Kings two ten. Um, there's lots of passages like this. This is this is just a short and sweet one. First uh, Kings two ten says, "So David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David." So it's these passages it's like so and so died and they went to to rest with their ancestors. You kind of need to be careful how you say that if you're around middle schoolers or really immature people, because like the King James says, "So David slept with his fathers." It's like, come on, let's grow up, people. <laughs> Anyways, but this idea of, okay, if there's, if there's rest, there's soul sleep. Uh, Luther, a great theologian of the Reformation, said uh, he compared going to rest. like It must be like the rest after a, uh, a tired person's day of work. So someone works really hard all day. Well, then they go to rest, and, and there's, maybe there's talk about, or there's thoughts that we can let our imagination um, think about, well, do, do we experience time when we're resting? Is, is like the rest that we will receive when we die kind of like when we fall asleep? And like if you fall asleep and you have a good night's rest, well, then you wake up and it doesn't really feel like any time has passed. And you just wake up and you feel rested. Um, will we experience it like that, like our mind and have these dreams and the unconscious, um, but these conscious dreams, like what will that rest look like? I don't know for sure. And we can, we can guess, we can talk about it, we can imagine what it'll be like. But one of the ideas of this intermediate state that I think is pretty clear in the text of scripture is just this word that is used for rest or falling asleep. And maybe it'll be like, I mean, think about the, the fact that we will all die Maybe it'll be like falling asleep, like every night. You know, we fall asleep every single night of our lives, um, or most of the nights of our lives. Um, maybe at the end of our life, it'll, it'll just be like that, and we will fall asleep, um, and we will rest, because those kinds of words, those kinds of uh, analogies and pictures are given about death, like that we will rest. Um, so that's rest slash soul sleep. And by the way, soul sleep, um, I don't know who coined the term, but if, if you've ever gone to a Seventh-day Adventist church or if you're from that denomination, well, that's one of the big things uh, of their belief, that they believe that this intermediate state will have soul sleep. And there's lots of um, talk about what that could look like specifically. Um, but in case you've ever been to a Seventh-day Adventist or if you know one, um, that they, if you talk about soul sleep, this is what they're talking about, this time of rest in between 
uh, when a person dies and the coming of Christ and the resurrection. Um, another term that is often used, I, the, this term, by the way, is not in Scripture. Um, the term purgatory is uh, a, a term used by Catholics to describe this uh, period of time in between death and a final state. Um, it came somewhere around the 1100s. So it's not in the text of Scripture, this word purgatory, but somewhere in the 1100s. So quite a, quite a bit after the early church, uh, somewhere in the Middle Ages, people in the Catholic Church started talking about this doctrine of purgatory. Here's a little picture of it. If you can see it, um, there's some people at the bottom. They're kind of on fire and kind of getting punished. And then there's some saints. I think that's St. Mary with the big crown lifting people up to heaven. So there's this time of purgatory for the Catholics. Um, um, And the word is like purgatory comes from purging purging of your sin. And so basically, the Catholic Encyclopedia defines it as this. Purgatory is a place or condition of temporal punishment for those departing this life in God's grace are not entirely free from, they call it venal sins, which are lesser sins. That's all of us, by the way. uh, Who have not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions. So if you get saved and you love the Lord your whole life, well, then you still make mistakes and you still need to be purged of those sins, according to Catholic doctrine. I think most of us as Protestant evangelical Christians would disagree with that and we would rest upon God's grace. And, you know, if, if Jesus Christ's death on the cross is enough to save a murderer and a thief, well, then it's enough to save me and it's enough to save you no matter what your sins have done, uh, no matter what you've done in your life to sin. Therefore, since Christ's blood is enough, well, then in the afterlife, there won't be any need for, oh, well, you know, little Joe s- stole a pack of gum when he was little, so he needs to burn for a couple days in purgatory. He said, no, Christ's blood, Christ's death on the cross is good once and for all. So we, I think, as Protestant evangelicals would, would argue with Catholics and say, no, if you really truly understand salvation, as Paul wrote about it, and how we would say, there's, this, there's no need for this purgatory. In fact, where do you even find purgatory in the text of Scripture? Well, it's not really there. So uh, at least that word is not there. But I do think that the Catholics get something right because at least they're talking about the intermediate state. I don't think we uh, as Protestant evangelicals like to talk about the intermediate state. And if someone starts talking about it, you're kind of like, wait, I thought as soon as we die, we go straight to heaven. And there's puppies and unicorns and, and, and rainbows. Like, what about that? It's like, well, it, it seems like there's this period of time, uh, this waiting, this resting, um, and, and the Catholics call it purgatory. We would refuse from using that term. Um, but maybe some of you um, thought about this one. Anybody mention paradise at your tables? Like Jesus um, tells the thief on the cross. Uh, the thief just says, remember me when you're in your kingdom. Luke uh, twenty-three forty-three, And Jesus answers him, uh, I tell you the truth, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. And that Greek word there is paradisimo. That's why we, you know, just translate it as paradise. That's maybe where we get the English word from the Greek word paradisimo. And it's this, this idea, this context of being in a garden and being in this perfect, beautiful place, um, like maybe the Garden of Eden. Like we return in some state to a perfect existence with God and maybe in his creation. Um, what is that? What does paradise look like for sure? Well, we don't know, but Jesus does tell the thief on the cross, today 
uh, you'll be with me in paradise, which to me sounds pretty awesome. It doesn't sound like purgatory, right? Good. So there is this thought that, um, that I, I've heard some people say um, that Jesus here is saying, I tell you the truth today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Um, so Jesus is just saying, like, I really tell you, I'm telling you today, comma, that you'll be with me in paradise. I've heard people say that, that the comma is in the right, the wrong place when the translators of Scripture translate it. The problem with that, and I would disagree with that, the problem with saying that Jesus is just saying, I tell you today, comma, that you'll be with me in paradise, is the, the idea that Jesus always just says, I tell you the truth. Like, throughout the context of Scripture, in the New Testament, Jesus just says, listen up. And his way of saying, listen up, is, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. But never do we find Jesus saying, I tell you the truth today. And then he says something. But specifically here, I think he is, is making it clear to the thief that after death, in the afterlife, for the thief, there will be paradise. Now, what does that look like specifically? Well, we don't know for sure, but it, it, does, it does sound pretty nice. Don't you think? Paradise, yeah. So, um, the next ones is uh, Sheol and Hades. And this is a Hebrew word and then a Greek word. Sheol is used throughout the context of uh, the Old Testament, specifically talking about like whenever you see the word grave, whenever you see the place of the dead, whenever you see um, in the Old Testament, I think of like uh, Psalms 16.10, David is saying, uh, to the Lord, because you will not abandon me to the grave, is how usually it's translated in the English. And the Hebrew word there is Sheol, that God will not abandon David in the place of the dead, Sheol. And Sheol is, is kind of the place, I think, if you look at Jewish thought of afterlife in the context of the Old Testament, it's this place where pretty much everyone goes to Sheol, this place of the dead. When you die, you go to Sheol, whether you're good or you're really bad, whether you're a faithful follower, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're a pagan. It's like you go to Sheol, this place of the dead. And what happens there? Well, maybe there's different, um, I don't know, sections of it. Um, because we do have a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that uses the word Hades. And what's interesting is, in, if, in case you're curious to look this up later, Acts 2, 27 uh, quotes this passage where David says, you will not abandon me to Sheol, but the Greek word is Hades. So it seems as though, at least from that passage, Acts 2, 27, quoting Psalm sixteen ten and using the word Hades instead of Sheol because of the Greek and the Hebrew, um, that these two words may be the same kind of thing in the context of Old and New Testament. This place of the dead. And if you know anything about Greek mythology, you know that everybody... In the, in the afterlife goes to the place of the dead, the abode of the dead, Hades. And there's even a god of the underworld named Hades. Um, and so, uh, if you want, turn to this passage. Uh, I'm not going to put it on the, the, the screen for you. Uh, it's a great passage to look at and see and study and rethink. Uh, it's Luke 16, starting in verse 19. I'm going to read all the way to 26. And it's a parable of Jesus about the afterlife. And maybe you've heard it before, and we have to pre maybe preface it and say, this is a parable. This, this, this may be literal, it may be figurative, but it is a parable. And so it could maybe lean towards the figurative, but Jesus is talking. Um, and so we should take consideration of the afterlife. And you've probably heard this parable before. 
It says in verse 19 that there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Kind of like me. That's what I do at home. I wear purple, fine linen, luxury every day. Um, And at his gate, there laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered in sores. Sick. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And even the dogs came and licked his sores. Sick. Anybody still eating breakfast? Hopefully not. Um, And then the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him away to Abraham's side. Or maybe your translation says Abraham's bosom. We'll talk about that in a second. So so you get this picture. A man in luxury, just sitting around, uh, life of luxury, very rich, fine clothes, fine linens. And then outside his gate is a very poor man named Lazarus who has sores and the dogs lick him. Gross. Um, He dies and angels take him away to Abraham's side. We'll talk about that in a second. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, or maybe your translation says hell, the Greek word there is Hades, though. Um, There he was in torment. And he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus at his side. So we could pause here and say, okay, so are they both in Hades? Well, from from the context of this passage and how a a first century Jewish person uh, would have understood it, uh, they would say, yes, there's Hades, this underworld where everyone goes. And so there the rich man is, there Lazarus is, uh, but they're in different places within Hades. Um, And and so, uh, because they're able to talk to each other. So the rich man, it says in verse 24, uh, called to him, Father Abraham. Maybe that's where the song comes from. I don't know. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied. So, so Lazarus and Abraham are hanging out over here. The, the rich man who is rich on earth is in some sort of fire, hot, and just wants a drop of water. Um, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm, like some sort of like Grand Canyon or something. Uh, what it looked like, I don't know for sure. But there, you, can't, you can't go from place to place, but you can see each other and obviously talk to each other. Um, so there's a chasm fixed between them. So that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And so that's this passage of... of Hades, Sheol, like everyone goes there and maybe there's some, there's some punishment for people who, um, I don't know, had, had wealth, like, and didn't do anything to help anyone else, at least according to this passage. And maybe there's a comfort for those who suffered on earth, um, at least according to this passage. So, so what is that? What is this intermediate state like? Is this the intermediate state? Well, it seems to, seems to imply so, um, in this parable. Um, so the, looking at this, so what about Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom? What does that mean? Have you, has anybody ever heard that term before, Abraham's And you're like, what is that? Like as a kid, I heard it somewhere, and I just imagine, oh, when you die, like Abraham comes and he eats you, and you like go into his chest or his belly or his bosom, and you're just like, oh, it must be warm and nice in there. Um, so that's what I thought of as a kid. It's like, what in the world is this? Um, but I think some translations get it better um, and avoid that confusion when they say Abraham's side instead of Abraham's bosom. It's like, I don't even like that word. It's kind of a weird word. Um, 
so so here's the here's a picture of that literally um and on the cover of your your notes is this picture um and it's it's abraham with the big halo thing like holding someone else like a little baby um which is kind of weird but it's this idea that you would be at abraham's side you would be with abraham you'd be you'd be hanging out and chilling um with abraham and abraham is a pretty huge hero of the old testament right right and so if abraham is in a good place after after death you would want to be with abraham after death if you were a good jewish person um, because surely Abraham had faith and, and God credited to, to him as righteousness. And of course, Abraham is, is in a good place in the afterlife. So if you were with Abraham at Abraham's side, well, that would be a good place also, a good place to wait and to rest and to be in paradise. And so I think, you know, returning to some of these thoughts about the intermediate state, I know we don't like to think about it. Um, at least I don't. I think, uh, Maybe in our culture, in our time, and as Americans, and what's popular uh, thoughts about the afterlife is that as soon as you die, you go directly to heaven or hell for all of eternity. And I think there's, there's just more to it. If you really, you know, here we are in the Mill Sunday School, the nerds of new life. And I think we are the ones that think and rethink and, and are okay with digging a little bit deeper. And even though there's more confusion being added on here in talking about different places of the intermediate state, I think it's worth talking about. It's worth looking at. It's worth considering that when we die, we go to some place and there's, there's rest, there's paradise, there's you know, other saints who have died like Abraham, there's our ancestors. Um, all these are specifically within the text of scripture. And we wait upon the Lord's return when he'll make everything right and the dead will raise in Christ. And so if, if you're considering like, where is so-and-so? Well, they're, they're resting, and maybe they're in paradise. Maybe they're at Abraham's side, and they're waiting for this great day when the dead in Christ will be raised. And so we'll talk about that specifically in two weeks, and, and next time we'll talk about this, this torment and this judgment that will happen, because that's pretty clear in the text of Scripture as well. And that's not something that's very nice. I don't think lots of us like talking about that, that the, in the afterlife there will, in fact, be judgment. That's pretty clear again and again in the, in, the, in the text of Scripture. So that's what we'll talk about next time. But I leave you with a final thought today, and we'll end a little early, that, that this great hope that we have, um, maybe as, in two weeks we'll talk about this specifically, but in the same way that Jesus rose from the dead, that's our hope. The same way that Jesus died and conquered death and came back with this glorified body. And we'll talk more about like, what did that look like? What was that like? He, some people recognized him and then some people didn't recognize him, but then recognized him later. He still had some, some nail holes and the, the, where they pierced him in the side, but he was able, we'll, we'll look at scriptures where like, it seems like they were in a closed room, a locked room, and then Jesus just appeared. It's like he was able just to, to appear and disappear but he was able to eat meals um, with his friends and the disciples. It's like, what was that like specifically? Well, we have little glimpses of it. And what will it be like for us when, when our Lord and Savior comes back and makes the world right and raises us from the dead? Um, that is our great hope. That is our final, final hope. As N.T. Wright put it, the life after the life after death. And that's, that's our great hope. So um, I'll close in prayer. Uh, and if you want to talk more about this, I think this is kind of the last time we'll mention the intermediate states. You can come forward. There'll be some of the mill leaders up here to chat and to pray or whatever. So let's close in prayer. Let's um, be hopeful and encouraged that 
the same God who died and rose again will also come back and raise us from the dead. So, Father, we pray to you. We thank you so much that you are a good, holy God. And the passage that we read to begin with, that, that no one can even imagine the place that you are preparing for us, that we should encourage each other with those words. And we thank you for that. We thank you that um, as we continue this conversation of the afterlife, you will continue to show us truth. And even if those, some of those truths contradict our thoughts that we previously had, God, I, hope that, I pray and hope that you will show us your truth in this series on the afterlife. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We love you so much. And everybody said, Amen. All right, friends. Peace be with you and peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mills Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.